This week is brought to you by Combat Flip Flops. Bad for running and even worse for fighting. Combat Flip Flops are your ticket to the unarmed forces by providing you with the military-inspired quality footwear for men and women. Be sure to enter the code UNITY at checkout to help support the podcast. And in support of women in developing countries, head over to combatflipflops.com and become part of their unarmed forces. Brought to you by Daisy May Hatco, the custom hat company based in Nashville, Tennessee. They make custom one-of-a-kind hats from wide-brimmed fedoras to cowboy hats. All of their hats are 100% beaver felt, and it's the highest quality hat you can get. They also have the coolest shirts ever. You can use the code BRASS at checkout for 15% off your entire order. Go and check out daisymayhats.com. Embrace the fever. Live the dream. And brought to you by GFDA. Good fucking design advice. The voice in your head and the foot up your ass. GFDA makes prints, drinkware, and apparel for people who want to do their fucking best. Go and use the code UNITY and get 10% off now on anything on their site, including our collaborative product, Fucking Help Somebody. I'm here for the attitude that you bring, Andrew Marr. Yeah. Well, get ready because it's going to be broughten. Oh, it's being brought. Okay. Shit's got serious. I like it. Okay. So let's just chat about how you figured out who I was because I know who you are. And I think many, many listeners who are new to the show or follow you around who don't know me. I'm a vet and I learned about you because of so many and the way so many did and Dr. Mark Gordon through Joe Rogan and you know, the work that you guys did and you went on his podcast to discuss. And I started to learn about you, the protocol you guys have, the amount of people you guys helped your organization. And then I was so graciously introduced to you through a mutual friend, Jesse Gould who is the founder of Heroic Hearts Project. And so I'm so grateful to get to chat with you, kind of knowing a little bit about you in a creepy, weird way. Isn't that weird for you when people know more about you? No, it's not, it's not weird. I don't think anything of it. Uh, so if I would have to give it more than two seconds of thought about it. And I just, uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm not into myself enough to do that. But yeah, man, it was Jesse. And Jesse's a good friend. And <clears throat> we can talk about later, but our organizations have partnered up and we've been doing stuff since last year has some exciting things this year. And then in the, in the research um, landscape and, you know, so I'm sure you're like this, Kelsey, when you have certain friends say you need to meet this person, like, I don't think twice about it. Like, yeah, fuck. Yeah. Uh, set it up. Can't wait to meet him. I was, you know, I was so lucky because I got that email out of the blue and I went, holy shit. Thanks, Jesse. Because like I said, I, I had learned about the work that you've been doing in our community and I want you to talk about it. But <clears throat> before we discuss that, I kind of want you to tell the listeners a little bit about your military background, because you're not, you're not as what I call so many people like myself, because I'm not, never was cool enough to be an SF human being, but I was a pogue. I was an artillery gunner and I just shot artillery, which still was pretty fantastic, but I'm not one of you. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about you? From the military side, yeah, at least. Uh, first thing, artillery, uh, pretty badass, especially when uh, you need it. Um, yeah. <laughs> and my background, my background was in uh, Army Special Forces. So uh, I graduated college, didn't want to go the officer route. So I, I enlisted with the other enlisted swine, much uh, to my parents' chagrin. And uh, they had a, a pipeline that led right into Special Forces, very low um, success rate. 
for people who wanted to go that option, but I was never one to play probabilities, especially when they were stacked against me. So I said, you know, that's what I want to do. And that's where I want to go. Um, that was the entry point that I wanted to get in at and, uh, took to the army and special forces like a fish in water. My specialty, well, I was uh, my military occupational specialty, MOS was a, we call it 18 Charlie. That's a special forces engineer. And uh, it's kind of one side is logistics, not very cool or sexy. The other side was um, being kind of an expert in demolitions and uh, explosives uh, and uh, to a lesser degree, uh, you know, dealing with EOD, I mean, uh, explosive ordnance disposal. So, you know, that's high level of my background. Uh, I was active um, special forces for the better part of a decade and uh, deployed mostly throughout the entire entirety of my career until I was forced to be medically retired. Wow. So for you, it wasn't... it. We are not one and the same. <laughs> it's amazing when I talk to career guys. I love it. And team guys, because you get to see this other side of the military that so many wish they could witness or they only ever see in like movies. And most of the time, it's not super far off, but I mean, the attitude is the same. The, the driven, the person behind the SF guy is the same. It's that the person that doesn't quit, that has the mental fortitude that has had the leadership most of the time, not all the time. I'm aware there is most mm -hmm. good leadership qualities in individuals. You get the odd shit pump, but you know, <laughs> everyone does. So it, it's really dependent, but for the most part, you guys are the top tier, you know, for a reason. And so that would have been an interesting thing to watch as a parent to be like seeing their child go right through to be an SF dude. And you've got brothers too, or a brother at least, who was also an Apache pilot. Mm -hmm. Oh, geez. Yeah. So uh, I'm one of uh, one of four boys. Uh, I'm the oldest of, of uh, my mom. So all three of my brothers, we have an older brother um, from my dad with a different marriage, and he's 11 years older than I was. So while we're close. He wasn't close to us in age. He was in the Navy, uh, kind of a stepchild uh, to uh, us who served in the family, um, joking. But uh, the other other three of us were in combat, you know, from for the better part of the decade. Uh, we're two years apart. So I was SF. My brother was a commissioned officer, uh, branched aviation. He flew um, the Apache, uh, a number of you know missions, combat missions that he flew uh, successfully. And then my brother was uh, infantry and had multiple deployments uh, to to Iraq as well. So you're, you you guys decided the goal in life is to give my mother an early stroke. Okay. That's where, you know, our name Warrior Angels uh, Foundation came from, because like I said, like there was that window, we're all deployed at basically the same time for, for the better part of a decade. And, and my mom prayed for Warrior Angels to, to protect us and for us to be able to go out and thwart the enemies on the battlefield. So um, it was just kind of uh, superimposed into my subconscious. And when we were looking at naming our organization, it became a no-brainer, pun intended. Warrior Angels Foundation was going to be the way to go. There's so many puns there intended that I, I can't help myself but point them out. Well done, sir. But that's that's pretty spectacular. That's a really amazing way to honor your mom. Um, I want to know a little bit about the the situation and the decision making really to join the military because I think a lot of people overlook you know influence in life and um, prior exposure there's so many individuals at least in Canada that I find are not exposed to military because we don't discuss it or have the similar um, 
I don't say appreciation because I don't believe we do for our military, nor do we really give a flying fuck once they get out either. So there isn't this exposure, general, uh, general ex- exposure to military or, you know, things like that. So for you guys, was that just a general, you know, we're going this direction, whether we like it or not, we've been exposed. That's just what we're going to do when we grow up. No, I, I never, my, uh, my focus in life, my love was, uh, athletics, specifically, uh, American football. So I was a college athlete on scholarship. And so I played uh, football. So when it became apparent that the NFL was, uh, wasn't calling, it was like, okay, I need to find something else to do. And at, at that time, you know, we're talking 2006 ish. Uh, so the war had been going on for, for some time. And my thought was I was pursuing what I thought was, you know, where I wanted to go in life. But it was always in the back of my mind that men uh, and women my own age were laying it down on the line as I was thinking that. And uh, so what what propelled me to go over there? I mean, to continue to want to be a part of something that's bigger than yourself. I wanted to challenge myself. I wanted to challenge myself in the ultimate proving grounds, which is combat. I wanted to go through a, uh, a crucible, uh, if you will, and, and to meet that challenge. Um, I thought that that would be the, the level of individuals that that attracted. Um, I thought I probably would like to spend my, most of my time around people like that. You know, let's go back yeah. to the old adage. You are, you know, the sum total of the people you hang out with or spend most of your time with. And, and um, what I found in special forces was just the, an, a wide spectrum of weirdos. But, but what that really uh, I appreciated is that every day you were expected and kind of forced to bring your absolute best. And uh, so I didn't know all that, uh, you know, ahead of time, but I, I had, you know, inklings that that was what was going to go on. So, you know, that those are things that kind of propelled me there. I wasn't interested in, in going into, you know, being a career guy, like, you know, in the financial sector or anything else didn't really know where I would fit in. And that just made sense to me. Um, I'm good over here. I have these skill sets. I've always been a part of a team. I have some physical attributes. I have some mental and cognitive attributes. And I like, uh, I studied all the different special operations to see, you know, hey, is there one that I think I align with or I might do well in? And, and uh, that's why I chose a Green Berets initially is because they're uh, unconventional warfare um, background. And most of the SF guys are a little bit older and a little bit more mature. And so I was, uh, you know, in my early to mid twenties when I went in. So I had some life experience. And so I thought that, you know, that would be uh, a little bit easier transition for me as opposed Mm -hmm. to some of the other um, units where guys are typically a a little bit younger. Um, And uh, so those were some like deciding points, decision points that, you know, allowed me to think, okay, I think, I think I'll go this way. And it makes sense too. I mean, you're not really a small dude. You're how tall are you for people who Uh, aren't walking? Six two ish. Yeah. Six two ish. So you're a foot and a half, almost taller than me. So, I mean, there's a, there's a direct difference and definite advantage going into the SF community being six two. I mean, there's 
there's almost this, uh, when I used to see guys in my basic training, when, when we did, you know, you go through basic and all of the very beginning and you're all kind of all mixed in together. You're all learning how to march like a bunch of monkeys. What I found is there was people that were these huge, like six foot taller dudes. Like one of them, um, Wilson, he was this, like the super soldier guy, he was massive, but then there would be me alongside of him. I knew the trajectory of our military careers would be drastically different just based on that. And he obviously went and did some other cooler things that I was not capable of mm. doing, which is fine. Um, and so that makes sense to lend towards leaning in the, the special forces direction. Needless to say, do you think if 9-11 didn't happen, you wouldn't have joined the military? I think that's a, I think that's correct. Um, you know, that, that was a, a driving factor and, you know, I have definitely have a viewpoint on how things played out over, you know, the course of 20 years and, and, uh, probably different perspectives today than when I entered, uh, and even when I was there, but regardless at that point in time, at my age set and my mindset with the things that went on, um, that was absolutely, you know, critical for me entering. And I don't think it would have been replicated without combat in the in there as a scenario. I'll, I'll put it this way. When when I was uh, told I could no longer be an SF operator, which was my complete identity and combat was taken off the table. It became the military for me at that point, a prison cell. Um, because you know, you can put up with a, a, a certain amount of bullshit because it's whatever, man, I get to go do my job, which is why I'm here. And I get to do it with these people, which is why I'm here. And the second that was taken away, I'm like, I could care less about playing all these other games here, um, you know, in, in garrison and what my uniform looks like and, and nonsense like that. So there's just, there was, for me, it was doing the job. It was doing it in combat. And, you know, we came up in a unique time frame where that's, that was the order of business. So yeah, Kelsey, no doubt. How about you? Uh, would that drastically change your trajectory of going in if that wasn't there? Yeah, it's weird because when I was, I'm a little bit younger than you. So when I was, uh, was a little younger when 9-11 happened, but I do, I it definitely uh, weighed on me. I remember how, when it happened, <laughs> I was 11. Okay. I'm 32 now. So I'm not yeah. crazy young, but I'm enough that it was a little younger and it wasn't for me. It wasn't like my friends were going and deploying or joining for the military. I'm in, I'm Canadian. Right. So we didn't, we, it hit us, but it did not hit us the way it hit America. Holy shit. We did not have everybody up in arms. That's it. We're going over there. I don't care where we're going, but we're going somewhere. And we didn't have yeah. that mass exodus from like the high schools where you were like, you're joining the military, you're joining the military. I grew up in a really small town about 35 minutes from the main air base in Canada in Trenton, Ontario, where, um, we had that lovely, uh, the guy that ran the base that decided to be a serial killer. So, you know, that's real, our claim to fame. So military wasn't something that I was super like, ha huh, about, um, I'd never hunted, never shot guns was never really exposed to it until I started writing my book. I didn't know my own grandfather served in world war II because no one talks in the family. So that's fun. So, you mm. know, I didn't, that's how little I really uh, understood about the military. That being said, it was uh, subsequently a lady I met on a bus who like 
was like a catalyst point. And I, I joined the military the next day. Like I straight up quit college that day. And I was like, fucking out of here. I got things to do. Don't know what they are, but I'm going there. And it made sense just because I was a fighter since I've been very young. And my parents kind of knew it was like probably a cop, a type A physical, you know, very strong person thing because I was just loud and obnoxious and physically fit. So there wasn't many places that could really sustain a good career. (laughs) So, um, and I was not a, a strong book learner. So most just an athlete, right. I was a headbanger, played rugby and concussed myself stupid. So, um, that was not my deal, but yeah, the military is, uh, it's a weird thing though, right? Because most people, when you look back at the trajectory of your life, you can often draw, you know, points. You never really see it when it's happening. But, um, I do remember it was very weird because on nine 11, um, I remember before we went to school, we watched it hit, uh, my mom and dad's basement. We watched it and uh, my mom was freaking out because my dad was a truck driver. So she, she was like, mm concerned about him being in the area and things like that. And, uh, I remember the following year when we did like the year anniversary of it, I wrote a poem and like the local radio came and like recorded me doing it. And for whatever reason, I, my parents had been very, you know, remembrance day. Like they were just, they drove that home for me, the importance of it, even if I didn't know about military family. And so I just felt a, a weird connection and I knew something was drastic, like really wrong. Like I knew what young enough that even at 11, something was really, really wrong. Um, but I didn't know, I really didn't know there goes Kenny in the background. I didn't know, um, how much it would affect, affect my life until I went to actually sign up with the recruiter. And I had like, this like weird flashback moment of me, like reading that poem, like on nine 11, that, and I was like, Oh my God. Whoa. It just, it, it, it was like this full circle thing. And so in a long roundabout way, no, no, Andrew, I did not know that 11 would affect me the way it did. <laughs> yeah. Same thing. And so I went through, you know, my entire time in, in SF and now I'm medically retired and we'd already started the warrior angels foundation and I'd never been to New York city. But we were doing a bunch of press and media um, back. This is like uh, 2016. Is that right? Yeah. Summer of 2016. So that's my first time ever in New York City. I've been there several times since. Don't care to go back. But um, we were getting out to meet uh, a friend of ours. And I'm not familiar with the area. So we get out of a taxi. And and I get out. And I mean, as soon as I get out and close the door, boom, boom, I'm hit with like this surge of energy. Like mm-hmm. something physically hit me. And so now I'm, I'm switched on and I'm like, what, you know, what just happened? Is it like a, something out of Ghostbusters? And uh, as we started to walk and we're trying to locate our friend, I realized that we're going through the footprint of ground zero. And now I started to, uh, I started to make comparisons like you could you could tell in combat like there's a shift in energy and uh, right before a firefight many times and uh and I started to like I felt that and it was a feeling that I would I had experienced before 
both in combat and I had visited the killing fields and and Phnom Penh and that had a distinct energy feel to the whole thing you know it was death and suffering and um has become familiar with that and so when I'm there in New York City I look around and I realize oh my god like this is the footprint of uh the two towers and I just became instantly overwhelmed emotionally and I just broke down and started to cry and there's like people with me and like there, there's nothing I could do here it was just coming out and it was like my my spirit at that moment realized the magnitude of that specific location and time and place and the effect that that had on on my life but countless others you know since that time both the people that are going in it and the ripple effects you know through the family and i actually could experience uh, what others were feeling as they were, you know, you know, had to make the decision, do I stay in here or burn or do I jump out of the building? And uh, I, I felt it. And it was um, it was one of the most unique experiences uh, of my life. And it wasn't until I had some uh, my initial psychedelic experience later on that year that I was really able to process, you know, what that mean, what that meant and was trying to telling me. But you know, going back like things that you don't when you're on the roller coaster or you're on the train, there's no time to get off and think about what's going on or the, or the scenery as you're passing it. And uh, it's not till you get off. You have some time of self, uh, you know, reflection and introspection. You start to think like uh, this is very this is a monumental, you know, thing that happened. And, and here's the repercussions from it. And you kind of are able to then give it the proper uh, process, you know, to, to integrate that into your life. But, you know, that was a unique thing with me also with, with 9-11. It didn't even occur to me till well after I was done. It's, it's wild because when you really think about the ripple effect and, and you really sit down and think about the, the, the damage and the hurt that that spread, the 9-11 wasn't just the, the people in, in the towers and the families attached to them and, and the, subsequently the, the first responders and everyone involved in the city at the time, but that hit the world. It's very rare that yeah. something hits the, the world on a, on a grand scale like that. I mean, since then, it's really been COVID that has been the only other thing to really encompass the world and throw it into it, you know, this sheer panic and after 9-11, it was like that. It was like that at airports. It was like that at borders. It was like that with police. Everyone was this silent collective, like this can't happen again. And hope for humanity, like people loved each other for a second and then a half. But then what else you got was this sheer, like this, this were, you know, the, the madness and the, the, the sheer fear that this spread it, it, nothing has really happened since up until very recently with COVID. So it's wild when I look at that to, to think that walking around calf, you would see all the patches of just different countries, Italy, Germany, all these people. You're like, Holy hell, they're here fighting a war that because it was started in the United States, it's just crazy to see to see it all in person and to walk around and see things like Canada's over here. The U S has a whole side over here. The Brits have a whole side over here and they're all they're And they're all collectively fighting against the same thing you are. I know you said that you had some opinions on the past 20 years. So I want to hear them. 
Give me, <laughs> I'm serious. I want to hear them because I think it's important because I think now that this war has come to an end physically there, I think now we're dealing with the, the, the aftershock of war back here with our soldiers. So I think there's still a war being fought within ourselves oh. that, you know, we're working on, on a, on a collective basis and it's, it's, it's healing and people are getting better, but I still think, you know, the after effects are still here. So when I say the war is over, I struggle with that term because I know it's over physically there, but so many people are still in it here. And mm -hmm. I'd be, I'd be curious to know your thoughts on when you were in what you thought of the war and how it's changed in your opinion. And then the pullout of it. You know, when when I was in it, uh, it was not not much thought process went through it, um, especially being younger. You know, um, it's black and white as I saw it, based on the information that was uh, given or, or put out. Um, and this was the mission set, and I get to go out there and I get to execute it against uh, evil. And uh, you know, I wouldn't change that at all. But, it started to question things when people that you love that served over there lost their lives. And it was like, he lost his life clearing this valley that we cleared out two years ago, three years ago. And I'm like, why, why are we still losing people? And we're doing the same thing over and over again. And uh, the point I'm making is like we, we toppled the Taliban in 2001. By the end of 2001, had replaced that government and had run them out and uh, had done what we wanted to do. And 2021, <laughs> it's like uh, Taliban's back in control. They uh, are in control of billions of dollars worth of equipment, technology and weapons there's been basically no positive changes since we first stepped foot over there what what any intelligent person would have to ask yourself well what what was the point what was the strategy what was the outcomes that we were looking to affect and uh the the way in which we drew down and pulled out of that country was an absolute uh, it was a disaster. Uh, it's a it was a laughing stock. You couldn't have you couldn't have planned a worse execution of pulling out of country than what happened. Leads you to think it was almost uh, done on purpose. So I just think that you know a lot of things happened in the in the eyes or on the premise of the global war on terrorism. And here in the country, uh, in the United States, it came as a sacrifice uh, of a lot of our personal rights and liberties. So not long after 9-11, we had the Patriot Act. What was it, 1100 page document that I, for some reason was just like ready to go. <laughs> and then so it comes out uh, shortly after the attacks. And then we're at war against, uh, you know, a global war against terrorism and you know we continue to see our rights and our our uh, taking away uh, in the guise of uh, uh, security and protection and then again um to see the way the things unfolded both in iraq and afghanistan just have to ask the question what is it that we were really attempting to accomplish there and what did we accomplish um i, I can't come away with a clear answer that's positive in a, in a military sense, you know, and, you know, we tactically, man, we 
line them up, we knock them down. No big deal. Day in, day out, not a problem. Bureaucratic wise, you know, it always is just nonsense. Same thing in Vietnam. Uh, the United States tactically overwhelmingly won every battle, but they were not allowed to win that war. Same thing there. We could have we could have stopped that. Uh, whatever we wanted to do uh, in the so-called global war of terrorism could have been done very quickly and uh, not drawn out over two decades. So, you know, that's my viewpoints on it. I think it was uh, we've lost a lot of lives. Um, you know, so many to now to traumatic brain injuries and post-traumatic stress, people who have returned and they're back, but they've yet to come home. And that's kind of what you're talking about. And that's really what, you know, our foundation is about. A lot of our partner organizations, that's why we're doing this event. And that's to celebrate. I mean, it's to remember those that gave the ultimate sacrifice to celebrate, celebrate those who are able to come back and rejoin society and to support those that still need help. And I mean, we can sit here and talk about, you know, what went right, what went wrong at the end of the day. It's the, what we tell ourselves that matters most, Kelsey, you know, and, and that applies to every facet of life. And so these things happened, okay, so what? What are we gonna do about it? What are we gonna do about it moving forward? How are we gonna help the people who need help? And us as leaders, how are we going to shape and influence the next generation? Because if we don't like what we saw, then it's up to us to change it. So how can we either prevent something like from this happening in the future, or how can we make it to where there is a better outcome? And that's more what I'm focused on. And I think we need to look at the past. We need to identify what we think went wrong or what could have been better to prepare ourselves better for the future. But I mean, the past, uh, you know, you, you can let that eat you up uh, really easily if you don't, uh, if, if you're not future minded about, you know, what do we do to take action here? Well, there's a lot there. And I think you're right on every aspect. I think we can talk about the the past and, and and how we could have done better. But at the end of the day, this is where we are and this is what has been done. And it's how we choose to handle and move forward in the next steps. That being said, I do, I do think that history is written, written by the winners. And I also do know that we did not win that war. And I don't know that I trust the current administration, yours and mine included, well, global, mostly um <laughs> globally i don't i don't yeah, trust them that I, I don't i don't trust any government i don't i don't trust government whatsoever to think that they have our best interests at heart has been shown to me anything couldn't be further from the truth both in my time in the military and now what i've witnessed here since you know 2020 just couldn't couldn't be further from the truth so you know yeah. that that to me is the probably the most concerning uh aspect of society as we move forward is how how do we keep this uh, these governments that have just gone unchecked, especially what you're seeing there in Canada. I just, I can't believe the things that I've witnessed there. Uh, Australia, it's insane. Not to think that uh, America is anything great. Texas, however, I will say is one of the great. Great last bastions of hope and freedom and liberty. And that's one of the reasons that we got out of the uh, Republic of California and came back to my home state of Texas. So funny because I, that's been one of my greatest, uh, this podcast has afforded me the opportunity uh, to go on other platforms. So I've gotten the privilege of coming down to Texas and um, visiting a, a podcast down there, Lex's show. And I was so fortunate because I got to go to Texas during COVID. And let me tell you, sir, 
what that did to me because I went down there. So listen, no, I got to, I got to tell you how this all worked. Cause this is the reason I am the way I am now, because here's the problem right now in Canada, we're going to sidetrack hard here. Here's the problem now yeah, in yeah. Canada. Canada has monopolized the media in such a fashion, similar to you guys, but you guys have a left and a right. We just have one. And our media is all, yeah. they all speak the same language and they all have the same narrative and that never changes, deviates or moves. I only know this because I've specifically been told by individuals during Afghanistan pull-up, for example, when I was screaming at the rooftops that there was mil- uh, sorry, millions, hundreds of Canadians stuck there that we were doing fuck all to get. Um, what happened was Canada actually sat down the units out of Edmonton, even though they stood up and said, we need to go. And they're like, nope, we're not doing that. We don't have the funds or the people. Fuck you. Yeah. Do you know how many Americans were there? Not very many. Do you know how many people they pulled because they care? That's their responsibility. Well, I talked to the media about this. They canceled all the media interviews because there was a media blackout because during the week of Afghan pullout, our prime the guy that runs the country, he decided he was going to do a snap election to run for prime minister. And I mean like a snap election. And then the only thing media was allowed to discuss was the election. And so nobody were, was allowed to question or discuss the Afghan pullout. But what they did do is call veterans who have been in the media before to ask them and talk about how it must feel to be an angry veteran right now. So they, they, they were actively deviating and changing the story right from the get. And so anyway, my point is, if I did not get the opportunity or, well, let me word it this way. If I already pre-COVID didn't trust the uh, the government and the way they think, I would never probably have left the country. They kept and still continue to do on a regular basis. And now that that person who calls himself a leader went on the media this week and directly spoke to children and fear-mongered them so hard, I've never seen it before. He took his mask off and said, kids, if you want to go back to school, and you're and 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 you want to be around your friends you're going to have to get vaccinated you're going to have to tell your parents that you want to get vaccinated it was the most disgusting display of an attempt at leadership um if you're just listening you know that was fucking sarcastic um that i've ever seen more so than than your geriatric version mine is just bought mm-hmm. paid for and a disgusting human being on all levels there's a new law in place in Canada that everything that you say on social media can be and will be brought into a court of law if they deem that they feel like it. So there's a lot of issues up here. So if I didn't get the opportunity or have it because of this show to leave the country, I would never have realized that the rest of the world is running, that all of America is functioning, that you can go to places, live and survive, and you will not die from this flu. If you are 400 pounds overweight, unhealthy, and a piece of shit, then yeah, you're probably going to have some issues with this. And I'm sorry in advance. You should have thought about that. Don't even go there with me. So I went to Texas and I was down there and I was walking around with no mask on. I was having conversations with people at gas stations. And one guy 
complimented me on my looks and I wasn't even offended because I realized that you shouldn't be offended by everything that comes out of everybody's mouth because it's ridiculous. He complimented me. He didn't assault me. He said, now you look cute, darling. And I was like, oh my God, you're the sweetest guy ever. And so my point is the rest of the world, besides a couple countries, are functioning. The way they have made us to be so afraid in Canada, like the rest of the world is acting like this. They're, they're closing mm -hmm. the schools down again. Um, they are now trying to put masks on five-year-olds and vaccinate kids under the age of 12 in Canada. And, and now Quebec, as of last week, started taxing the unvaccinated. Um, so that's cute. Uh, one prime minister, we call them the Texas of Canada, Alberta. They, yeah. um, they, their, their guy came out and was like, are you, are you fucking mind? We're not taxing unvaccinated people. What are you doing? This behavior is the most Nazi-esque bullshit I've ever seen. And I don't say that lightly. I say that in the yeah. truest form of what that means. That is a hateful thing. I'm totally going on a tangent here. I apologize. I was on holiday recently and somebody said right in front of me, and I got to tell you, I talk a lot and I normally speak my mind, but out of respect for my family members, I bit every part of my tongue as hard as I could and ate shit. And when the guy said, it's the dirty unvaccinated, <laughs> I, I died because it wasn't that one. This is a brilliant person that said that too. Um, I had a lot of, had a lot of respect for that person. Um, but what that showed me, number one, mass manipulation is a very easily and accessible thing. We've seen it happen in China and been done to their own people. And now they're sanctioned for it. And yet we continue to allow it on the Western culture, which we should know better. It shows me that when I was younger, I used to question, how did the Holocaust ever happen? How could we ever mm -hmm. allow people to treat people so hatefully, so cruel, so, so just less than? And number three, it showed me that fear is a motivator. Fear is a beautiful tool when used accordingly. And number four, it also showed me that even smart, smart, smart people can sound really, really fucking stupid. And it was disgusting. And I was heartbroken because if somebody like that could say that out loud, out loud, you say shit in your head all the time, man. <clears throat> if you could, if the world could hear my thoughts, I'd be in prison. So I'm just saying like, that's what he's saying out loud. That's how Where the did Holocaust freedom of choice go. Where did the ability to have sovereignty over our, our own health choices and our own body? How is that all of a sudden not applicable anymore? And how come we can't get really good evidence to support why we should take these experimental gene therapies? Um, and where is the evidence that that's a good idea for something that's 99.7% uh, survival rate <laughs> that to me just like an intelligent person just that those things need to be just should be able to be discussed there's that should be able to have a uh, a open discourse in the public realm 
about what we think is appropriate and not appropriate, but you see that stuff gets shut down and that's that's been somewhat shocking. Well, it's not only been shocking from um, like a global standpoint to see it happen on a mass scale, like not just from like, say like North America, just pulling this bullshit and the rest of the world being like, what's wrong with you? And they're like, it's fine. North America does weird things. We just let them be them. They're like the hippies of the world. But no, this is a global scale to the point where we have this mental health Monday group just did before you, but we have a group chat on signal and there's an individual from Italy who messaged all of us. These are people from all over the world. So we're getting different perspective. I got people from Australia, from uh, the UK, from Italy, from, you know, Africa, everywhere. So I'm getting different perspectives and views on, on how everybody's handling this. And he said, Kelsey, they are going door to door and they're forcing the vaccine. They're going door to door. My family won't talk to me anymore. They won't, you know, X, Y, and Z. And I, I said, the most heartbreaking thing about that is this is a 20 year old kid who's like mentally now completely unstable, unwell, and, mm -hmm. and in, so, in such fear, he feels he needs to hide or escape to another country. That right there is, I don't know how we, we, um, we justify that. We lose 40 to 60,000 children every year to the flu. How many kids have we lost to this? And yet we are, we are seeing a cognitive decline in children in a way that we have never seen before due to masks. The, the ability to have emotionally intelligent conversations with them is lost. The, the, the wires are not connecting and it is troubling that we, we allow it. And um, we, I have this conversation with my kids school on a regular basis. I found out last week they were forcing my kid to put a mask on after there was an explicit conversation with the principal that that would not be necessary and was also understood. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that won't be happening again because I won't be dealing with that uh, again. I, I feel you. I, you know, that was a, they were, they used masks at our, at our uh, children's schools initially. And so I, I had to go all the way through the, uh, the principal to the, upper echelons of the leadership in the school district and we had to get a medical waiver saying that the kids you know weren't going to wear a mask and uh, you know i was fine i was a that was a fight i was going to have <laughs> i didn't even willing think to about fight it. that but yeah you know, uh, where we are in texas and we were the only parents that fought for that and um so like my children were the only kids in the elementary school that were without masks and the teacher actually said and the principal actually said like they're going to feel isolated and not out, like not a part of everybody. They're going to no, they really feel like they're being singled out. And I was like, this is, this is unbelievable. So we finished that school year, which was last year. And, and now uh, we homeschool. Nice. So I'm just not going to give my kids up to the system anymore to manipulate and to fill their heads with propaganda and noise and to force them to do things that just make absolutely no sense or is the direct opposite of benefiting their health their overall health and, and well-being but uh, i feel you man and that's i that's where i draw the line i draw the line where you start fucking with our kids i'm, I'm sorry <laughs> that that ain't happening and whatever i need to do to protect them will be done well it's interesting because you you are an outspoken person but you you know you you don't say too too much i don't i don't correction i don't see you might i'm apologies 
my assumptions. Um, I don't see too much about that. Um, I've kind of uh, been fairly outspoken about this um, on social media. Now I'm being deplatformed. So <laughs> I understand the, the damage this does. Instagram is booting us off. It's how we run our company. You know, Facebook doesn't like me. It's a problem. And especially in Canada, now that we have a law, I believe it's Bill 10, C10 or Bill, Bill 13, where social media can be used against you. So now I'm being deplatformed and now we're having to figure out where I can talk. And so now we're, we're using things like Getter and all of this because I'm about to lose our Instagram. And that's how we run our company. It's mm-hmm. how we talk about these things. And it's troubling now. I think that's one of the more troubling things I take away from this whole situation. People are going to die. I'm a horrible person when I say people are going to die. Because I think once you've done psychedelics and once you've been through some shit, some real shit, some like, not like my Starbucks was the wrong flavor shit, like some shit. I think you realize really quickly that um, world is really, really small. It's also very, time is very minute and that the only thing you're promised is death in life. So my idea of death is a little different than others. That being said, if I lost someone super close to me to COVID, I guess, yes, I would be pissed off and angry too, but I wouldn't be pissed off and angry at something that's not real. I'd be pissed off and angry at the decisions that were made that then caused that person to have to lose their life when it was unnecessary in the first place. So that's a different thing. So when I say, you know, I, I struggle with it, right? I struggle with it because if I, if I speak openly and honestly, what people expect of me, I will lose every platform I have to talk. That's a problem. We shouldn't be allowing this. Why all of a sudden, why all of a sudden, because this is what I can't figure out. And maybe you can help me with this. Why all of a sudden everybody who is mentioned COVID and like, I'm not even like, fuck COVID. I'm talking in an educated way with, with medical documents, with, with real people backing the science. Why are we the ones who are being kicked in the fucking face? Like, why is that okay? Why do we think it's okay to censor people? And in Canada in particular, people seem very fine with it because there's no pushback on that bill. There's no pushback at all. They can use your VPN. This podcast Anything I say at any point can be used against me. So why do we allow that? That's what I want to know because what else was COVID for? Because we know it's very manufactured. So what else was COVID for if not to just to get the people who are doing something to shut the fuck up? Because I don't understand what else it could be for. What am I missing? Because I'm missing something. I don't know. I, I think it was, um, I, this is what it's revealed to me that in large part, we have a society that is, that are sheep. And uh, I'm not saying that to, to offend it. I, I don't really care what anybody thinks, but I, I'm not saying <laughs> that to be offensive. That's been a direct revelation or observation of, of mine. And then when you kind of understand the, our, our food system, our agriculture system, our Western medicine system, our education system, our entertainment system, our, what else am I missing here? Telecommunications um, systems, they're made not to have individual free thinkers, critical thinkers that uh, think outside the box and do life on their terms. They're made to have uh, shift labor, uh, labor workers that raise their hand when they need to speak and stay in line and get in line. 
take this, bow the knee, and we'll allow you to be able to go to the grocery store and we'll allow you to be able to have electricity and we'll allow you to be able to have your, you know, internet. Don't do these things and we will remove them from you. And um, I, I think because of the conditioning of all those different uh, industries that I talked about, and this has been a well orchestrated plan over uh looks to me to be about at least 100 years now that we've arrived at where the population is today, where people for the most part either can't think for themselves or are so afraid of the consequences that it's enough to keep them in check. I, I personally don't understand it because we don't live our life that way and I don't spend time. It's not like I'm uh, isolating on purpose certain portions of the population, but the people that I spend my time time with like we're li we're we're living life, <laughs> we're doing our thing, and um, yeah. we're we're we have purpose, and we're going out and we're making it happen, and we're not, you know, I think if anything is the the main talking point is fear, then like red flags need to be raised because fear is the antithesis or one of the, the it, it, well I'll tell you what it's not it's not love it's not coming from a place of love, and if it's coming from fear then then you really need to dissect what that's about because it's trying to probably most likely manipulate you into acting or behaving a certain way. And so, you know, what do we do about it? I think we continue to have conversations like this. I think we have to move to a decentralized model. And I'm a big fan of crypto. And it's one of the reasons that I've been really uh, engaged in that community over the over the last uh, year or so is learning the kind of libertarian fundamentals of that. And the reason that it came into fruition was basically saying, hey, the money system that we have sucks. It is awful. And, and when you really learn how the financial system works, you'll be disgusted. And you start to learn how these things are put in place to manipulate us. And then so we have to look at, OK, what, what's the breakaway from that? Decentralized, um, self-governing, you know, honest money. These are things that uh, can we can put into play that really change things. So we need to look for decentralized platforms that we can continue to express and communicate and speak truth. And so if those other ones shut us down, we as community have to find it either internally or however we need to go about it in our signal chats to find out those other platforms to get on. Because at some point in time, we're gonna to have to stand up and say, you know what, our businesses are run this way, our lives are run this way, but the platforms that they're on oppose everything that I know to be right and good. So it's gonna be inconvenient, yes, but we're gonna find a different way and a different platform. And I think we'll, I really honestly think the population will shift into two spheres. One that is vaccinated and bends the knee and lives under like the government control and um, aid and care is all provided if you follow those rules. And then there'll be kind of the freedom uh, libertarians that are like, yeah, we're, we're not going to operate like that. And we're going to be uh, decentral. We, in a decentralized manner, we're going to move, be moved outside of that. And you'll probably have some people that can cross over into both worlds. But for the most part, I think we're going to see two different societies moving forward. And that's, that's, that's how I see things right now. It's interesting because the way that we're, we're moving forward with healing too is similar and similar in that fashion as well. Right. It's interesting because you're, you're in that space. So it's, it's funny because I talked to Marcus Capone about this. I said, it seems like in my eyes, from my perspective, it, 
what it's going to take to heal and help veterans and first responders and individuals who have gone through trauma. It's going to take people within the community to fix the community because up by and large to this point, at least in Canada, it seems like, you know, veterans affairs is there. They are an institution. They're there. The United States has veterans affairs. They're there. If you utilize and know how to play them, right. They'll do what you need them to do. For the most part, that being said, the majority of it (laughs) feels like it's just a bureaucracy that is meant to put you in a pipeline that holds you for a long time. So it seems to me healing really is coming from within the community. It's taken people like you with your organization, Marcus and Amber with Vets and Jesse with Heroic Hearts to really you know, usher this forward. And it's funny because it seems it's always like SF dudes for the most part, because they know how to move, plan and execute and do something and do it from all aspects. So changing laws is going to be a big part of us ushering in the new healing age for vets and first responders, because at the end of the day, we can have a million organizations, which there are, but if you're not changing the system itself, you're never going to really affect it long-term. So that's funny to see that you have kind of shifted more into that anyway. That's, that's what you do. It makes total sense. I'm going to have to pick your brain on the, uh, on the crypto stuff. Cause that is, uh, I want to understand it. I do. It's difficult. It's same with NFTs. Somebody keeps, people keep telling me NFTs, like the fuck is it? It seems, it seems like it's the way of the world and, and you want to understand it. It is seems complicated, more complicated. So I feel like the barrier to entry for the majority of people might feel a little intimidated to try and move into the crypto space or into those other spaces that are predominantly online. But I think there's, there's plenty of opportunity to, to learn. And that is something I'm going to bother you about at some point. So just deal with that. Um, yeah, let's do it. Bring it on. So when you, but I want to talk about this. So when you got medically released from the military, what year was that? And what what prompted that? I was uh, medically retired in 2015. Okay. And, uh, you know, I, so you contrast this high performer uh, SF guy, you know, um, the space that we operated from was life and death, man. And if you couldn't perform consistently over time, you, you cease to exist. And uh, so kind of the, the status uh, or picturesque form of a, of a healthy individual and very quickly without a scratch on my body, uh, just I was diagnosed with every mood disorder and mental disorder there was, had all these um, neurocognitive, so um, inability to, to just learn new things or recall or started to learn, lose memory, started to lose my ability to uh, have regular speech started to have all types of emotional problems and uh, just bouts of depression and anxiety and extreme uh, fits of rage, started to have all types of physiological problems. So I would have headaches every day that would go and it would be cause me to have blurry vision, which would go into double vision. And I'd have these, um, then it would be from these migraines and then balance issues where I couldn't walk in a straight line all that happened in a very short time span. And what I was essentially told was that, uh, hey, yeah, you've, you've been around um, a lot of explosions, and, uh, but, but what really is the problem here is psychologically, 
you just can't process and take all that you've experienced. And that just never sat right with me. I was like, uh, all I want to do is get back to my old self, to go back to do the things that I was doing. That's all I want to do. I was living the life I wanted to live, married to the one of my dreams, fully content. And uh, so, you know, that was kind of the, the contrast in the background of how quickly life spun out of control. So I went from that and I was having these panic attacks now, like on a routine basis. And I thought like, you know, before ignorantly that that was just a weak minded individual's problem. But here I am, I'm getting just shellacked by these uh, anxiety attacks and it happens in public in the weight room in front of my children at home like I had no control over it and it was like kind of like a runaway gun it just had to run its course and the overwhelming sense of depression it was like waking up in the morning to find out my family had been murdered or like that uh, you know my team died on a mission and it was my fault like that was what I was carrying around, but I didn't have anything to tie it to. And so I just started to think like I'm losing my mind because nobody can like point to anything or any underlying condition or point in my timeline why this would be happening. So now I'm really starting, my mind's really playing tricks with me. And I'm really starting to think like, fuck man, I've gone insane. Now I've been labeled with all these different disorders. I've been put on double digit medications. The only thing I can do to stop the panic attacks is drink. And so I drink from sunup to sundown. And I just got to a point where um, I thought the only logical conclusion to make this better for my family was to take my own life. And uh, sometimes we need a wake up call to wake up. And mine came at my oldest boy, who was 13 months at the time at his hospital bedside. And he had a life-threatening illness that we were going through uh, while I was experiencing all this. And he had this major operation to remove this massive growth out of his neck. And I had a just a moment of clarity there at his bedside at the ICU there. And uh, I took the last pain pill I ever took and I chased it down with the airplane bottle of whiskey there at his bedside. And I had that moment of clarity. And the moment of clarity was this, like my life was at a crossroads. It was going to go one of two ways. If I continued on the same path and I kept blaming everything else from my circumstance, I was going to end up dead. Uh, but worse than that, it was going to absolutely ruin everything that I said that I loved and I stood for. And what I realized was that at that point, um, I had to go a different direction. And so I, what I ended up doing was I made a uh, promise to my boy and myself right there at his bedside threefold. Number one, that I was going to find a way to return to the man in my pre-injury status. Number two, that I was going to find a way to come off all the medication that I was told I was going to have to be on for the rest of my life because it made me worse than when I started. And I was fucked up when we started. And those two things in my mind were non-negotiable. And I didn't care what I had to do to make it happen. There was a wall, fuck it, it's going down. A mountain, go over it. Just, it was irrelevant. It costs money. I don't have it. I'll figure out a way. doesn't matter because at that point in time, those two things were non-negotiable. And then the third one was after I had accomplished number one and number two, return to my pre-injury status, come off all the medication, I was going to find a way to bring whatever level of care that was to other individuals that were suffering just like I was and my family's was. And so that was that that crossroads moment that really pulled me out of one line of time 
And it put me in a new line of time because I started to think, okay, well, if the same actions produce the same results, it's time to manifest and produce some different actions. And, and that's what led me on this path. Okay. Say, okay, well, what do I need to do to get better for myself? And things just started to fall into place. And once that happened, okay, well, how can we put this in a replicatable model that we can bring to other people? And, and that just steamrolled one into the other. But I mean, that's how we went from like, just what I thought was the worst thing in my life to being one of the best things in my life is that just shift in perspective and how we choose to receive information and what we choose to do about it. And it's just easy to sit there and say, my life's over. My purpose is gone. My identity is, is this, and it's no longer anymore. I don't have the abilities to do the things that I think I should be able to do or want to do anymore. It takes, you know, real courage to dig down deep. And that's why I said earlier, it's the things that we tell ourselves that matter most. It doesn't matter what other people have to say about it. And that, that was kind of my viewpoint on it, Kelsey. And, you know, I don't even know what the original question was, but that's what led me on that path to say, okay, man, I'm going to gain my, I'm going to get my health back. I'm not, I'm not seeding it. And I don't care what scientist or doctor or anybody fucking else says has to say about it because I'm getting it back and I'm going to live a life that I know I can live. And then we're going to turn around and we're going to continue to serve. I don't know in what capacity. I don't know how, but we're going to do it. And that was put me from looking at desk door to now. I mean, I could my my life reads like a Hollywood script. It's fucking ridiculous. It's so beautiful. And um, I'm not a one off. My story is the story. And what we're really here to do is give others the psychological permission to do the exact same thing. Oh, you mean we can come back from that? Oh, we can be as good, if not better than that? Oh, we can find another life and still find ways to serve and do and live life with purpose 100%. Not special, not specific. This is our birthright and we all can find it and live that type of life. Well, that's what's really special too, though, is it's not a one-off. It's There's a lot. There's a ton of people. People just don't, they're just now talking about it. They're just now hearing about these different ways of healing and, and, and changing and adapting and becoming better and knowing that they don't have to suffer alone. These stories are, are, are out there. People just don't know where to look to find them half of the time. And, and they can't, so they can't see down the tunnel. They can't see a light at the end. They struggle. And no wonder, I mean, the stuff that we put our people through the, the path to healing, the, the amount of time it takes often to get a hold of somebody in the VA or in a non-traditional method, you have to advocate for yourself, it seems. And if you're not taking those steps and learning and educating yourself half of the time, it does feel like it is different. It is a lot it is a lot to find some help. It is very difficult, but the first step is always just saying, Hey, I need some help. And then the rest will follow. But that is always the catalyst point. That is always the first wall that needs to be knocked down. And it does seem like people of your stature, SF tier one across the board, it seems like it's just now happening. You guys are talking, you guys are being open and honest, and it's almost giving these other people in the military that were maybe not as elite in terms of their specialty as you, but it's almost giving like a silent nod to like, Hey, 
you didn't think that we could cry. You didn't think that we could feel, you didn't think that we could break down and have panic attacks, but we do. And it happens and it's way more common than you thought. And these six foot two, six foot seven dudes are being like, I cried like a little baby in a ball for hours. And then that's okay. But giving the silent nod, giving the permission and, and doing it the way you guys are though, you're taking the steps and making it public with an organization. Instead of just sitting there saying, I struggled. I now have something that I can pass on. You don't need to struggle alone too. And it's about being willing to do that and being vulnerable. And half of the time, it doesn't take much. If, if you just give somebody a little bit of you, just the tiniest amount, the little crack to open just in the crack. And you can show them that you've suffered, that you've been through it, but there is a way out. You just need to show them a little of yourself. It doesn't have to be much. You don't have to give them, you know, all of the nitty gritty, dark things. You don't need somebody's face to melt off. That's not the goal. It's not a shock and awe. It's a dude. There's a lot of people like you that are going through the exact same thing. And we've been there and it's okay to heal and it's okay to want more and it's okay to want to do better. There is nothing wrong with that. I find that something for people too. Maybe I'm in my experience, I've seen that with people. They don't believe that they deserve any better after their deployments Mm. or some of the stuff they've done overseas or seen. They don't, they don't love themselves enough to think that they deserve to be happy and not in pain. It's almost like some of them deserve, people believe they deserve to, to suffer because of stuff from deployment. It's this, it's this Mm. idea that you've done X, Y, and Z. So I must, this must be something I have to carry the rest of my life. I, I deserve that that's par for the core, but it's not. That's not the reality. You don't have to suffer like that for the rest of your life. If anything, it's a shame if you do, because you're missing out on everything else. And those around you are missing out on who you could be. Yeah, I I, I agree fully. And I think the question that I had to answer first for me was I had to figure out, I had to decide to live a life worth living again. And that kind of goes back to valuing yourself and saying like, uh, I should be able to have access to this. So, so I, from this moment forward, I'm deciding to live a life worth living. And to me, that meant something X, Y, and Z. It will mean something else to the individual. It's individualized. But that's that first step of saying, okay, man, life is worth living and I'm going to live it. So what do we need to do next? And that, that for me was that first step where I was started to think different, differently. And, and I'm with you and I, and our, our suffering just to, in and of itself, that that's meaningless, make it mean something, make it mean be for something. One of my favorite books is uh, Victor Frankl's man's search for meaning. And it shows through his encounter through Nazi con- concentration camps, the ones that were able to make it and come out on the other side of it. And it's the individuals that allow- found a way to attribute a higher sense of purpose to their life could endure almost anything. And that's the human condition. And we have access to that. If somebody else could do it, that means we could do it. And so uh, one of the beautiful lines that he wrote uh, from that one was that everything can be taken from a man, but one thing, the last of the human human freedoms 
to choose one's own attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. I found that to be true, Kelsey. So again, we can choose to live a life worth living. We can choose how we receive, process, and respond to life. And those steps allow us to take us out of one path and put us on another. And then we give others the same psychological permission to do the exact same thing. And I think that's what our community is really doing well. And that's why we're seeing this movement of all these, uh, I hate the word alternative, but they all they are alternative from the conventional status quo means of Western uh, medicine and, and those therapies. And so, so, so be it. Um, everything we do is evidence-based and scientifically valid, but if it's gonna be deemed alternative, that's fine. Here's the information. Go out, read it, make up your own mind. Don't take my word for anything and then find out if this is something that should be, you know, you should use to benefit your own life. I also say if anybody thinks that, hey, this just this one thing or this one therapy or this one lifestyle change is going to fix everything. They're lying to you, man. There is no silver, silver bullet. It's going to be a lifelong process of, con of a continual uh, evolution of what works and what doesn't for me. What do I add? What do I take away? How do we move forward? Right. And it's not, it, like you said, it's not a one size fits all, right? Not everybody thrives with different uh, healing modalities. It's really dependent and you have to almost experiment, if you will, to see what it helps you improve what helps you step you backwards. You know, you may try one thing and think this is going to be the end all be all, but it, it, it ends up being the complete opposite and that's okay too. Yeah. And so for me, you know, when, when it came to healing and how I kind of met Jesse was, you know, end all be all had done it all and nothing was working and nothing was sustaining. Things would work temporarily, but there was no sustainability in that healing and in that modality, which at the time was pharmaceutical medication over a long, you know, long period of time. I got off of most of it when I started using cannabis as, as a uh, uh, sleep aid and things for my anxiety and depression that really was a turning point. The first time I was introduced to a a natural healing based modality was, was cannabis. And that really worked for me on a, on a grand scale and continues to, and I'm a huge, you know, advocate and proponent of using cannabis as, as part of your treatment. If it, if it works for you and it helps you be better, I'm for it. I'm for anything that helps you be better. Um, really I am. And I think, People, people look at some of these uh, treatment options as, like you said, alternative and different and, you know, maybe outside the box of the norm. But really, what has the norm got us up to this point, right? We have a, a population of veterans all the way back to World War II who have alcoholism and abuse throughout, you know, their life because they, they didn't have proper ways of healing. We just put them in, in buildings and said, hang out and drink beer and fuck your feelings. Right. And, and, and we still have people that serve that are like that. My God, I was in my unit. I had the old school guys who didn't think women should be, you know, artillery gunners. And, and so it's, it's, it's the evolution of time and change and we have to evolve and with us evolving. So is the medicine. And if we, if we give ourselves permission to look outside the box and, and move away from this war on drugs mentality. We, I mean, do you, do you realize if we didn't have the war on drugs, how far we would be down the road with 
with the research on psychedelics and the research on plant-based medicine, could you imagine how many people could be helped if we just had that extra 40 years of solid research underneath us? We don't, but what we do have now is we have the opportunities with people like you. We have the opportunities with these organizations and now these universities who are like, okay, we see it, we see it, we can do it. And they're, they're willing to take, take the hit like Harvard and John Hopkins are willing to take the hit uh, of saying they're associated with psychedelics. And that's a beautiful thing because it needs to evolve because if we don't, we're going to end up with another generation of vets who drink, who suffer, who commit suicide at a rate that is unprecedented. And we're going to lose fathers and mothers when we don't fucking need to. And we can stop the intergenerational trauma. We can stop it. We have the choice. And now it seems like for once we are choosing to deal with it. And so your organization is one of those ones. And so can you tell me about it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, so what originally worked for me was linking up with uh, a, a crazy, uh, I say it in a, in a good way, uh, doctor out in LA uh, who practiced neuroendocrinology. And he contacted me uh, like in 2000, let me think about that, late 2014. And uh, I had some media exposure about some of the treatments that I was doing. Anyways, he said, listen, man, uh, I've been helping um, people with traumatic brain injuries for some time. Here's my credentials. Here's, here's how we do it. Here's some media that you can uh, look into to learn more about it. If you're interested, let me know and um, we'll see about getting you going. And that was Dr. Mark Warden. And that was in late 2014. Once I started that protocol in early 2015, since that date, I've been symptom and medication free. All of my symptoms have resolved and I'm performing as good, if not better than my pre-injury status. Now we've supported thousands of others to get that exact same level of care and that exact same level of response. But uh, that was it. Uh, it was going through his system, which is a pretty simple approach. We're gonna take a, a laboratory, we're gonna take blood, we're gonna draw it, and then we're going to run that and look for specific things. Number one, is there neuroinflammation? Is there neuroinflammation in the brain? Is there neuroinflammation in the body? That can be identified with the lab. Number two, has that affected the neurochemistry that's produced in the brain that runs the rest of the body? Has that affected it in any way? So hypothalamus sends a signal to pituitary, pituitary sends a signal to the testicles, and the byproduct of that is testosterone free in total. Not getting too technical here, but we can tell that your levels are so low here. The only, one of the only solutions that we can come up with is there had to have been central damage to the hypothalamus and pituitary. Downstream effect of that is these laboratory markers. So now we can identify with precision. Is that neuroinflammation there? Yes. Has it affected the neurochemistry, what we call neurosteroids to be make to make them either become deficient or insufficient. So not there or not there at an optimal, um, optimal level. We then replace or replenish what the body no longer makes. And so when we can do those two things, we can mitigate or modulate inflammation and we can replace or replenish the important chemistry that's been leaked out because of damage to the, to the body, to the brain. Well, 
what my results have shown, what the science has shown, what our, our work over the last you know, five, six, seven years has shown is people's quality of life will improve. And so that's what we've been about. And it was, it was we didn't expect all the results that we uh, have gotten since then. A lot of people come think they just had post-traumatic stress. And then we run their labs and we find out, well, there's a physiological footprint here of trauma. And what you're experiencing as post-traumatic stress is actually a byproduct of this physical trauma that's downstream manifestation of that is what we call post-traumatic stress. So therefore, if we can treat the injury because it's an injury, well, guess what? People can get better. And that's been the root and the foundation and then uh, of, our, of our organization since 2015. And then I started to um, get exposed to the psychedelic community in 2016. So I had my own personal journeys through that. That was absolutely life changing and began to sp speak about it publicly and then been to have other friends in the community that uh, set up those you know avenues where we essentially um, the underground railroad of psychedelics has been set up and we've been active in supporting uh, that movement for the last few years and very active in um, helping new legislation to actually be passed uh, this last year both at the state level and the federal level here in the state so we just been continuing to do what we think is the right thing to, to uh, find therapies that identify and treat the underlying condition. There's a real novel thing. And then to find things that have existed since, uh, for, for all, since, since inception, natural compounds. And like you said, man, the research got stonewalled in the late 60s and early 70s. Who's picking it back up? The veteran community. The veteran community and all the top tier colleges out there. So because of that, we're helping to pioneer uh, that round. Now we're looking at uh, doing some studies where we look at the Mark Gordon's protocol coupled with psychedelic assisted therapy and how does that affect the brain. Um, and, and different combinations. So we're just doing a lot of cool stuff in that venue. Uh, that's what some of the partnerships that we have there with Heroic Hearts and the University of Texas Dell um, School of Medicine. The, we're, we're doing the psilocybin and the MDA, MDMA uh, research here in Texas through the Baylor College School of Medicine. So man, that's what just been what we've about. Answers, hope, and healing. I think that's been key. Um, you know, Adam and I, my, my brother, he, he retired uh, his commission and forego a, a promotion to get out of the army and help me to heal. And we started our organization. It was his idea to write a book, you know, and that was a, a way where we could have a blueprint for others traveling similar terrain to kind of have a, a map of like, hey, here's not the way to maneuver it, but here's a way that's been successful. And right. that moved into our documentary, Quiet Explosions, which, I mean, I can't even believe it. Emmy and Academy Award winners on it. And we were considered for two Academy Awards, and it's just been absolutely mind-blowing and just continuing to find different ways to put out the information so other people can know there is an alternative to what you were told was just this. I'm living proof, and we have thousands of others just like me. So that's what the foundation's been about, answers, hope, and healing through the different modalities that we have shown that evidence, that's, the evidence is there, the science is there, the personal testimonies are there. And now everybody who wants access to it 
they can find out about it through our website and then they can figure out if they want to, you know, move forward on it. And so that's, that's really Kelsey, what we've been about. Well, it's been interesting too, to learn about you um, the way I did because of Rogan, I actually went on Dr. Mark Gordon's protocol, which was really ironic because when I went to my treatment doctor, Dr. Greg Passy, he had told me some years ago, he said, Hey, I'm going down to Texas. I'm going to do this training seminar and get, and I'm going to get accredited in this, in this protocol, because I think it can really work. I really like the science behind it. I've been doing a lot of looking into this guy. And so sure enough, he goes down and he goes down to do training with Dr. Mark Gordon and you guys. And, um, unbeknownst to me, I, I remember I sent him the Rogan interview my husband and I were in the garage. I was smoking my cannabis before bed and we were listening to our podcast as we do every night. And, um, my husband is really into, into health and, and, to uh, blood tests. And we constantly getting those things done. And he goes, I think it'd be worth a shot for you to look into. I sent it to my doctor and he goes, Hey, that's the guy I was telling you. I just went and did the training with. And I was like, no shit. So then he's like, yeah, we'll, you know, we'll get your blood work done and we'll send it down and we have to send it down to the seats. He's explaining this whole process to me. And it was wild because once he said it, and then I had heard it, I was like, okay, you know, my, I got to say, my guy is, my doctor is, he's a smart cookie. He's an old school vet from Bosnia, Rwanda time. He's a smart dude, but he, he thinks completely outside of the box. He is not a traditional guy. And I'm fortunate for that because it brought me to Dr. Mark Gordon's um, protocol. And I've, I was on it up until very recently and I'm going back on it, but it works. That shit works when your brain <laughs> When you go off of it for a temporary amount of time, you feel your brain swell again. <laughs> it's insane. I tried to explain that to somebody and they're like, you felt your brain swell. You okay. You doing okay in there. This no, you can feel it. It's like, oh, it's growing. And it's because the inflammation is coming back. It's, it works. It worked for me. It might not be for everyone, but I know for me, it helped my husband. Who's a, uh, was a professional supercross racer multiple concussions, mm. smacked his bell more times than he can count. Both of us with, with for sure had trauma, both went on it and he saw a significant improvement as well. And so he's not a veteran. No, no. He was a dirty dirt bike riding man. He, he causes injuries other ways, but head trauma is head trauma is head trauma is head trauma. And it works. Inflammation is a problem in the body and we are learning so much about it now. And if people would just take two seconds to learn before they take an Advil, you would be shocked at what your body can mm -hmm. do when you give it the opportunity and the right tools to do it. And so it was really ironic to me because I just felt like, wow, that's so, that's so cool. That's so cool that the, the impact is so far and widespread that my guy in my little corner of the world was like, Hey, have you heard of this? And I was like, fun fact. So it's, it's a beautiful thing. And I can only imagine the amount of people you guys have been able to help. I mean, your stats are on your website and I'll, we'll link everything to it, but I know people, I know so many people that have been helping that protocol. And it's, it's a pretty, when you break it down, there's a lot of science behind it, but it seems like it should be cut and dry, common sense, inflammation equal bad. Like, it, do you know what I'm saying? When you think about it, the logistics yeah. behind it, it's like, it's not that difficult, but yet we're treating, constantly treating what we call a disorder, which 
when I got medically released, when they said you're diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder in my mind, and when they told me you will never work again or be a functioning part of society, that idea, when you're telling that to 19 and 20, and even in their early 20 year old kids, Hey, you're going to, you're going to suck. The rest of your life is about to suck. Don't try because that's just what it is. When you tell them that you're set at putting them in a mindset and then you put pharmaceutical medication on that and then you lock them in that mindset. And I think it was, it might've been Lex who asked me actually, do you think that if it was like, no, I think it was Jocko. It was one of them. One of them asked me, cause I don't, I haven't been on a ton of other shows, but I remember it was one of the four. And I think it might've been Jocko. He said, do you think if somebody sat you down after your operation that everything happened on, do you think if somebody sat you down before they like heavily medicated you just like a leader and sat you down and said, listen, everything you're feeling right now, this is normal. It'll pass. We'll look at it, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll monitor nightmares and things like that. But like everything that you're feeling, that anxiety in your chest, that, that, that will go. That is, we can maintain this. We can talk about it. We're here to listen. We're here for you. Do you think that you would have been the, you know, had the same reaction? And I said, no, because all it would have taken, I think is one person who had been in that situation before to sit down and say, Hey, Kels, you're all right. Your head's not exploding. It's going to be okay. We just need to ride this out for a little bit. I'm here to talk to you. You want to rant about it? You want to talk about the nitty gritty? I'm here. Somebody would have sat me down and said that before they just start putting me on meds. And I'm like, you know what? That's insane because it would have taken one liter to take one minute to say that to me. And that would have probably changed the trajectory of everything in my life. I know it, man. And um, it, the main takeaway for, for me and us moving forward was to let people know that you're not psychologically damaged goods. In right. all actuality, this is this has been an injury, and for some reason we we don't look at it like that. It's like having somebody have a have a broken arm that's clearly visible. There's a there's a clean fracture in there. And we're saying, well, we're not going to x-ray it. And matter of fact, if you weren't so psychologically minded this way, you wouldn't even have be having these problems. Well, that's crazy. That's insane. Well, that's exactly what we're doing with everybody who's experiencing all the things that we had talked about. So absolutely, that to me has been the big takeaway. Hey, this is most likely a subcomponent of an injury, an injury, and we will treat it as such. This is not you. You are not a disorder. You're not. This is an injury that can be identified and treated. And what we've shown is more times than not through natural means. <laughs> Isn't that insane? When you think about the like yeah. the true nature of like this can be healed with natural things. Huh. If we if we really stuck to that way back when after World War II and people were just hanging around using psilocybin and ayahuasca and I began to heal. We, we probably wouldn't have had another war shit. We would have been, we would have been so happy. The world wouldn't have known what to do with itself. It's crazy because if we just gave it a chance, but you know, the powers that be right. Can't go back in time. We can only go forward. So it's the powers that be now. We have, we, uh, we influence our best and our brightest to go and fight our wars. And then it seems like to me, this wasn't anything that I, 
had a preconceived notion about this is because of my direct experience with it over the last seven plus years. We send our best and brightest to go out and fight our wars. And then we do our best to put them in a pharmaceutical endosed coma to make sure these strong individuals can't go back out in public and lead. Bottom line, that's it. Case closed. Like that is the evidence. The best and the brightest have been silenced. And I think it's for a very specific reason because we use them up and then we put them to the wayside. We factory farm them out. And that way, when we have these things that we're experiencing now in society, uh, the people that should be standing up and leading um, are not able to do it because of the state that they find themselves in. And we're the antithesis to that. We're the we're the counter. We're we are the resistance uh, to that movement. And I think that we're helping others to come to that same realization and get back out on the new frontier and continue the fight for freedom and whatever capacity that that means to us. And I don't think it's going to take very long, right? I mean, look at, look at in the very short period of time where Dr. Mark Gordon's protocol comes out to the, the use of psilocybin and ayahuasca and Ibogaine and 5-MeO to heal uh, severe trauma and addiction. It's, it's the, it's taking away all these preconceived notions that people who use psychedelics are a bunch of hippies and losers. Now we've got, we've got people who are SF top tier, not even, I'm not going to make government officials because that's not even like a great position to be in. So like special forces, top tier, high level people, high functioning individuals, people who are running billion dollar companies are over here using these on a regular basis, not even just to heal, but for, for spirituality, for a connection to something deeper, because we are lusting for so much more. We are as a society and a humanity, we are lusting for bigger things. And we know that there has to be more than this. And yet we get told by mainstream that we are, we are crazy for, for using, you know, plants to heal yourself and go on these psychedelic trips and you're using them just to escape reality and you're damaging your brain and blah, 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 CNN. But what you're actually doing is you're healing, you're fixing yourself. You're making yourself stronger and more powerful. And that, that scares the living hell are the powers that be. I love it. That's it, man. That's it. And I think when you have people like the Capone standing up, like Jesse and, and other people from the community, let's use our credentials for, for the best and highest possible use. So when we speak, people listen because we've earned that right. And uh, we can speak from a place of authority and we, when we talk about the experiences that we've had and the benefits that we've received, both experienced and witnessed of others, it's hard to discount that. And I think that's why that's the difference this time around. And also that we figured out how to partner up with the top tier um, scientists and, and uh, researchers and how to make that stuff public. And because we can do that, that's why I think like the trains left the station. Like yeah. you, you can't put it back in. It's moving. The train is moving and it will continue to do so. Yeah. It's like this. Uh, it's funny. Like I said, this is going to take the vet community to fix itself. That's what it's going to take. But it's funny because I use the analogy. It's like it's Thomas. It's over. Once Thomas starts moving, you don't stop Thomas. Thomas keeps going. Don't you know the saying? I have a five-year-old right now and Thomas is the guy. You know that when you talk about perseverance and no quit, you go, Thomas, 
Thomas the train. You got it. You hear that, Jack? Thomas. He doesn't stop. You don't stop. Okay, mommy. That's right. So Thomas is. It's out. It's out. It's left the train station. Psychedelics are going to be the way. And whether they are synthesized and used in other modalities and ways and traditions or whatever, it does not have to be a shamanistic setting. It can be a medical setting. It can be any setting that you feel comfortable, safe, yeah. and 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 ha- and happy in. And and really, it's about like I said, set and setting, that's really most of the thing is, is making sure that you're doing it in a safe way. And, and, you know, there was something I learned, um, when, when Jesse, uh, so graciously let me go to a ceremony, he, you know, it is so much more about the community, um, and seeing others around you as, as family, if you, you walk out of things and experiences that you can't describe and it's hard to mm-hmm. discuss with others because you can't, as my buddy Griff says, you can't unsee the mountaintop. You can't unsee it. You can't unknow it's there. You can't unfeel it. Now you're like, I'm like a woo-woo hippie now, right? But you can't. And so I'm okay with that. And they always say, don't be the veteran with the billboard. Like I'm the veteran with the billboard and I don't care because I am tired of people dying for no goddamn reason. There's no need when you know, and you've seen, and you felt that little bit of relief, because let's be honest, you don't need often everything to go away. I mean, that would be great if there was a magic pill and everything that, that detached the, the, the triggers, the nightmares, the, whatever you, you struggle with your ailment. If they would all go away, yes, that would be great if that was the magic pill. But most of the time, people just need a fucking second to breathe. And if you can give them a second to breathe and to think about anything else just for just for a day, for a weekend, and you can get them to see that there's so many more like them, that's all it takes, man. And then you create this, this space for love and for light in your life that you did not know that could exist. And then you also didn't know it could exist with the type of people you thought it does exist in because you're not really looking at Mm -hmm. you and, and, and Jesse and Marcus and going cool. So we're going to go meditate. What we're going to go do breathing exercises, huh? (laughs) Like that's not, I feel like that's not the perception and my God, it is the most beautiful fucking thing when you see a guy I hate, I know it's, it's so stereotypical, but when you see a guy like you, fucking break in half it is because it gives so many people yeah i mean it's just being real it's being real and putting it out there but the take the thing for me kelsey was to have a direct experience with divinity i don't know how else to to put it and to Mm. experience that oneness and that connectedness um removed from time and space uh you will never come back the same if you are afforded that <laughs> unbelievable, beautiful opportunity. It will change you forever in the instant. And um, that that's the beauty of it. And you realize that the medicine is not the medicine. You're the medicine. It's a tool. Medicine, it's a tool for to reveal that you are the medicine. And that is inherently beautiful in its own right. So just so many incredible, beautiful things. I mean, I think another beautiful thing for me was it allowed me to see all the patterns and the belief systems that shape life, uh, my life and everyone else's and how I was running 
belief systems on autopilot that were of no benefit to me or my family. And it allowed me to take a step out and say, nope, that one, it's not worth anything to me. That one, no good. That one, no good. I don't care what society or the world thinks. It's apparent to me that these belief systems, these structures, these patterns, no good. And I had the ability at that point from a higher plane of awareness to say, you know what? I have the ability to choose and to change and to stop and to do something different. And that was some of the most incredible gifts that I was able to receive, you know, from that process. So like I said, when you have experiences like that, it will forever change you in an instant. And you will look that like they say, like attracts, like it's love, man, love, love attracts. And you will have other people and other instances and opportunities brought into your life because that's what you're putting out. And it sounds crazy, but the, uh, the realm of the quantum physics um, goes and shows the exact same thing. So it's not, it's not that crazy. And now we're able to really identify and even isolate and look at some of these things mind blowing, but um, just, I think, you know, the sky is the absolute limit. And that's why, you know, you could go around in a corner and you could cry and say, I don't like the way the world is, or you can say, you know what? We have an opportunity here. There's an opportunity for change and to make it better than when we found it. And that, that's, the, that's the way I, I choose to see it. And psychedelics was a, one of the tools that allowed me to really open my eyes and change my, my way of thinking on, on many, like, virtually everything. Insane how much it really hits too. I mean, I came home and tried to explain it to my husband. And I remember I still try to explain it to my husband. I still, after, after sitting again since, and, and some other stuff, I'm like, I, I, I just, you're going to have to experience at some point because I, I, it's, you can explain it in so many words, but I also don't know that I have the, um, I mean, if I were like Elon, maybe I would have the ability or, or, or somebody with the, hmm. the linguistic skill to describe, it's kind of like Alex Gray when he draws paintings or pictures. I yeah. wish I had a, a way, like a, an outward facing way that I could describe it because I don't, I'm not, I'm not an amazing poet. Uh, I don't draw. And, you know, so I wish I had like an outward thing that I could be like, yeah, look at this, but I don't. And that's the only thing I, 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 I would wish I could change is that I could do something like that because if people, I mean, there's a way to do it. I've suggested we just dose the water of just dose the water and just have like one solid day where everyone's like right out to lunch. But the next day they wake up and go, Oh my God. And the world gets better. But I mean, that's, that's like irrational. So it's fine. Don't worry about it. But I wish I had another way of like telling people or describing or articulating this, this beautiful thing, because it is, it was life saving, life changing, life altering. And it, it gave me the permission and, and the idea that it's, it's okay to be yourself and it's okay to not be everyone's mm. cup of tea. It gave me the healing I need. It took the trauma out. Um, it just, it, it did everything I needed and more. And, and it's not, and it wasn't like, Oh, the weekend I'm fine. Like this took so much work after and still does every day. Integration, integration, integration is the key to making it last. It's the key to taking the lessons from the experience, right? It's not the experience that heals you. It's what you do with the tools you're given similar to Mark Gordon. It's what you do with the tools you're given that can allow you to progress and be the person you want to be. It's just really, 
I don't know. I love them and think they're great. And I think they're not right for everyone, but I also think they're right for a lot of people. And I think we've done enough now medicating and over-medicating our population to the point where we have forgotten that an Advil isn't always what we need or a Benzo or X, Y, and Z, you name it, or a beer or a bottle of whiskey. I think sometimes we just need a second to reset and it's nice to see society starting to do so because dear God, the way pharmaceutical companies are running, we have got to get a handle on this shit before they do. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you, girl. I couldn't, uh, mm. I couldn't be more excited about it. And uh, our paths crossing. So you're going to come out to Texas. You're going to do 48 miles in 48 uh, hours. So tell me, let, let's tell everybody about what I've signed up for. <laughs> tell me. Uh, it's Goggins' idea. So all credit goes to him. And we had some people do it last year and raise funds for us. And so we saw like all this money coming in. And because of the four by four by 48, I was like, Adam, my, that's my brother. I was like, what the fuck is the four by four by 48? And, uh, and uh, so learning about that. So I was like, oh, this is awesome. People are out there like, d-. so the premise is this. It's really simple. Every, you're going to run four miles or you're going to walk four miles. You're going to cover four miles. Or if you want to do four push-ups, something that you can do four times, you're going to cover distance is four miles. Convert that to the, the metric system over there for you. Canadians. Literally we're gonna, we're gonna you guys that have to no fuck four, that. No, you stop. You hours. you stop. You stop. You guys have to convert your shit. Fuck you. We the rest of the world is functioning just fine over here. And then America's like, nope. Let me tell you about our conversion system for no reason other than to <laughs> fuck with your head. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm teaching our kids, and I'm like, hey, here's the difference between Fahrenheit and Celsius, and here's the metric system in the English system. And this makes no sense. And I, I still think I, I talk in meters. Oh, we do this many meters, that many meters. I, I, I'm with you, man. Eh, how okay, good. Is that? What is the deal? I don't know. It's your fault. You're getting, me off a, you're getting me off on a tangent here, Kelsey. I know. I do that. I do that. I'm so sorry in advance, but it's true. Why though? Why do you guys feel the need when I'm up here? It's like 30 degrees. You're like, what's 30 degrees. And I say it like you because <laughs> all Americans sound like that to me. You all have a Southern <laughs> accent. <laughs> Fine. I don't understand it. Either way, it makes my life for hell. 1.2, Yeah, exactly. So do the math. Every, you're going to do about 2.4, 2.5 K every four hours for 48 hours, which equates way. to 48 miles in 48 hours. Other way. We're going to do more. Like, so you're going to do four miles. We're going to do four miles, which is like five, five something K. So it's way more. It's, it's way more than two something K it's oh, it's over five. So we're going to do, okay. we're, we're going to do 48 miles in 48 hours and we're going to get up and we're going to move four miles every four hours. And we're going to do that until we are complete. Yeah. <sighs> so we're going to launch here from our ranch here in, uh, in, in Texas. And we are right in the Sam Houston national forest. So we got a two mile out, two mile back uh, path, and so we're a camp out and bivouac here, um, and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna run it, and then we're gonna party hard afterwards. And then everybody else that's out there listening to this right now, you have the opportunity to do the exact same thing. So you can come to our website, you can learn all about it, you can get involved, 
you can you can find if you like if you want to raise funds for it you can find one of the nonprofits here that are doing with us and we have avenues for you to create a team and raise funds for that um or just do it you know uh, the point is to go out there and do something hard and make it about something and for us it was about remembering those who came before us who are no longer here celebrating those that came back and are kicking ass and getting the support to those who still need it and we have what we call the new frontier uh, the leaders on the new frontier of neurorestoration and trauma and psychedelic therapy. And uh, that, that's really what, what these amazing groups are about. So doing something hard, coming together as a community and enjoying in that sacrifice and that suck and making it about something. And then we're going to raise a shit ton of money. So to me, it's like, it's, it's the best part of, of what we're doing. Find the, the people that we're friends with, the organizations that we believe in, come together, do something hard, enjoy it, and let everybody else have an opportunity to do it as well. You're coming all the way down to Canada. You're going to kick ass. Yeah, I mean, we, I, I sign myself up for things. I, I only ever, here's the thing. I'll only ever do a physical challenge on behalf of a charity. I'll never do it. Like I did a, I, so I started doing uh, competing um, in triathlons right before COVID. And I really loved it. It was more, I needed a, I needed a competitive outlet again, really desperately. I needed to beat people at something and I needed to be humbled and be beat. It was really that point for me after stop fighting in Taekwondo and then stop racing moto. I moved over to you know, I need, I need to compete. So I started doing triathlons and I, and I did one right before COVID and I loved it. And then after that COVID hit and everything went to shit and we didn't do any. So I was like, okay, well, I got to do something. And then people are like, Hey, you want to come do this for charity? I'm like, sure. And you're like, you want to come die for charity? I'm like, why not? And so this just seems to be the way of the things, uh, of how I do things. I, I physically harm my body for charity. And that I guess will just be, it'll be part of my life now. So I'm excited. I'm more than yeah. willing. I'm super fucking stoked. That's in Texas because freedom, I got to tell you w- one of your emails you sent me, I was actually going to text you and be like, can I don't even say who it's from, but the response is so American. Can I just post the response? And I believe it was something along the lines of like, from the God get of freedom rights of Texas. And I was like, Oh, that is so American. It's the most American email I've ever received. And it, for some reason, just got me super jazzed because the idea of freedom again makes me happy. And, and the idea that we don't think that we deserve it is bullshit. So I was so excited when you, when you invited me so graciously to come down and beat the shit out of myself on your property. I'm your liability now. Oh yeah. Uh, we got a plan for that. No big deal. <laughs> oh God. We're like, we will backpack you. It's fine. No, I'll do it. I'm gonna fucking crush that. You're gonna be one of me backpacking. Please don't even go there with me. Don't get it twisted. These little legs, that's the only thing I got going for me. My husband calls them my stumps. Mm-hmm. Like they they just mm. keep on trucking. Like that's my that's the one thing I got. Him and I'll go for a run. We'll get on the road bike. He he can push. Like, I mean, he was a super cross racer. The guy is fit. That being said eventually this will shut off for him. Now I will shut off. And then I am, I am Thomas. Just keep moving. Just keep moving. As long as you keep moving, it's fine. And that, that is the one thing I got from the military. (laughs) Just beat the shit out of yourself. It's fine. I can't wait to get you out of here, man. It's going to be, it's going to be an awesome weekend. Oh, I apologize in advance. 
you've, you've done this to yourself, my friend, you've done this to yourself, <laughs> but, but I'm, I'm, uh, I'm super stoked. Uh, Brass and Unity is really excited. We're going to be, uh, where we've kind of invited all of our mental health group, um, the mental health Monday, you know, the BNU army to participate with us kind of all over the world. And then we've got, uh, we've got some people that are going to join our team and, um, they're going to do it from other places and fundraise. And then we're splitting, uh, Brass and Unity's proceeds to half to heroic hearts and half to vet solutions, because I, couldn't pick between which friend needed the more because they're both doing the exact amazing great work i you have to split it you have to make it fair i think yeah. i think i think we are all going to continue to to move it forward in every way we can but taking the initiative and and putting on events like this and and really making physical fitness the thing for it is the way to do it because we know that moving your body we understand that you know there's a what is it 4% better than an antidepressant when you're physically moving constantly and you're doing it on a continual basis like physical fitness is the key is one of the biggest ways to heal. And, um, I'm so glad you incorporated David Goggins, uh, terrible, uh, four by four by 48. I'm, uh, I'm excited. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled. I mean, if it's, I mean, if he can do it right, anyone can, right. Isn't that, isn't that there it? You go. <laughs> that, that was our sentiments from the get go. I love it so much. I can't, uh, can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming on and just taking your time to, you know, shoot this shit and really just be honest and vulnerable and, and the work that you're doing for the community. It takes, takes strong leaders to, to lead us out of, uh, the hell we put ourselves into and allow the governments to, to put our vets and first responders into. So it's only fair that it takes great veterans to do, uh, to pull us out of that. So thank you for doing that. Thank you to your brother and your team and, and, you know, Dr. Mark Gordon for really stepping up and being willing to put his name on the line and his reputation for, for this type of healing for a community that frankly, I mean, he just, he didn't have to, and, uh, he did. And so thank you, um, for me and all the other vets I know that have really been helped with, uh, your guys's protocol and your honesty. It's, uh, it's fucking awesome to see people just getting out there and doing it. Love and respect to you, girl. Thank you, my friend. So tell everybody, uh, the Instagrams, the websites, everything they need. Everything. I'll make it simple. You can find everything on our uh, website. It's warriorangelsfoundation.org and uh, all the hip social media links are on there. I'm, I'm not good at that, but we got a team uh, that's good. I, I've been posting here as of late, but uh, everything you need and, and can find there, you're interested in what we're doing. We have a team there ready to talk to you and walk you through the process. And so that's all there as well as uh, also. So excited to engage with you guys further. Uh, warriorangelsfoundation.org. Thank you so much, buddy. So everyone else, that's it for this week and we'll see you all stick with me. Mm -hmm.